Hey everybody, it's Jake Wiskirchen back with you on the Noggin Notes podcast. This is the world's only podcast recorded in a garage that aims to enrich and educate your noggin on matters of mental wellness, psychological functioning, spirituality, and emotional regulation. This is episode number 36, and it contains the musings of one Steve Barsha, who happens to be a Zephyr Wellness employee, and he's both a licensed marriage and family therapist and a licensed clinical alcohol and drug counselor, but he also has a certification in domestic violence uh, treatment and intervention, and he's worked with both perpetrators and victims of domestic violence. So today's topic of toxic relationships has to do with the interplay of those two things. Uh, There's certainly a a relationship between toxicity and violence. So this is an introduction to toxic relationships, and not that we want to introduce you to toxic relationships. I don't think anybody would want that. It is an introduction to the concept, and this is going to be part one of a two-part series. So we invite you to kick back and relax, and if you have any questions throughout, please note those and send them off to info at nogginnotes.com or info at zephyrwellness.org. And we'll be happy to read your feedback on the air at some point and answer questions to the best of our human ability. So sit back, relax, and uh, absorb the knowledge coming your way from Steve Barsha on episode number 36, part one of Toxic Relationships on the Noggin Notes podcast. Well, it's the Noggin Notes podcast, and we're talking with Steve Barsha. Thanks back. Thanks back. Thanks for coming back. Thanks for having me here. And uh, thanks for letting me trip over my words. And we talked a few weeks ago in setting this up. We wanted to, to to share some information with the audience that we thought was useful based on toxic relationships. And um, we want to make very clear that we don't believe that people are toxic, but sometimes their behaviors can be. And when those behaviors uh, interfere with a relationship status, it uh, it can become a very toxic environment within the relationship itself. And Learning how to recognize that, I think, is something that you and I discussed because we we see clients come through from time to time um, with a fair degree of regularity that uh, don't know that they're in a toxic relationship. All they know is they're miserable and they're looking for some some place to put their finger as to why. Yeah, absolutely. And I think another dynamic we'll see frequently is the confusion about watching people go through toxic relationships, whether it's the clients themselves or someone else in their life. And what keeps people in those and so today a little bit what I want to talk about was just a little bit more about how those function what they are and and why they happen yeah sure thing um, go ahead and launch into it because we, we can just ping off each other here we got enough experience in the room I think between us to have a conversation uh, but I'll let you start because I was the one who reached out to you and asked and you're more or less the guest I suppose if I'm the host sure so I guess um, one of my first thoughts is we're going to talk about toxic relationships let's talk about what that means a little bit and I think, for me, in my opinion, toxic relationship would be one where you suffer more than you blossom. One, one where the relationship tends to do more damage and you thrive less. That's a good definition. I like that a lot. So you, you suffer more than you blossom. That's, that's really true. And when, when I think about toxicity, I tend to take it into like the biological realm. Like what, what would a toxic environment be like for a plant, for example? You know, bad soil, um, too much salt, uh, you know, not enough sunlight, not enough water, that kind of thing. So it's clearly suffering and it's not, it's not blossoming. I think, I think that's a great analogy. Yeah, and I, I like the piece that you throw in with, with that analogy because there is you know, a very real, almost biological 
consequence to toxic relationships for people too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, when we get into uh, like physiological health for sure and um, whether or not the person in in with whom you are in that in that relationship is preventing you from doing things that to make you happy and, and feel good, like going to the gym and doing hobbies and clubs and that kind of thing. Right, absolutely. And that's that's another piece that I think I mentioned earlier when I throw in the definitions in that. In a toxic relationship, you're not going to thrive. You're not going to reach your self-actualization. It's a relationship that kind of keeps you run down and stuck in this conflict and turmoil and anxiety. I don't know if you've written anything on your... Um piece of paper there but uh, I want to bring it up now because it's crossing my my consciousness I think sometimes when we're dealing with people they tend to do what's called blame shifting and they'll move uh, the the target of the actual frustration to something else that's easier to point at and not do anything about because it's it's organic it's in the environment something like that like like the sun or you know rain or something or that they'll um, they'll misascribe it to something that they falsely believe they can change as opposed to tackling the harder uh, issue. So for, for example, in this tackling a relationship is very, very challenging because it requires intimacy and vulnerability and, and advocating for oneself. What do you see with regard to people saying, you know, I, I don't get to do the things that I want to do anymore, but it's not because of my spouse. It's just because I'm lazy or something like that. So kind of denial that the relationship itself. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I use the word blame shifting, but denial is probably a, a better descriptor. Well, I think denial is going to be almost fundamental for a toxic relationship because without it, it's hard to exist. That's a good point. Yeah, because if you're really self-aware and you're being honest, uh, at least intellectually honest, if not emotionally honest, you're going to know where the suffering is originating. Right. And I think I want to I want to touch on the blame shifting, too. I've got some ideas about that. But um, on the denial piece, I think what's interesting, what we'll see a lot of times in these relationships is that they become familiar. And then mm. as we're in them, we have a tendency to revert back to thinking about those really good moments at the beginning that are familiar, the moments that kind of help us forget about what we're going through on a daily basis. You know, a lot of times in an intoxic relationship, there almost becomes this shift in thinking that this is somehow natural or a normal part of a relationship that have all this negative stuff. One thing you know, after a while it becomes so normal, we forget we can be happy six out of seven days a week instead of one out of seven days a week. Yeah. So at what point do we, do we say, all right, this is, this is clearly a problem between me and my partner and not something that I can fix on my own, um, as opposed to, uh, chalking it up to, this is just the way it is because, well, this is just how relationships go. Well, no, we just stop having sex after we're married. Uh, that's just the way it is. We, we have kids and, and we fall out of love. You know, we hear phrases like that. And it's just not true. And so part of what I want to ask is, w- at what point do you do you have a real honest conversation with your client and say, you know, we need to bring your uh, better half in here? Or um, on the flip side of that coin, do you say, you know what, um, that's not true. Um, that's not just the way things things happen. And um, you don't have to have to be miserable because everybody else looks miserable. Yes. Sorry, that was a lot. We're told in school, by the way, listening audience, uh, don't ask multiple questions of our clients. And I just did that to Steve. Got So ask me simpler. Where, where would you like me to take off on? Let's start with the, uh, the the idea that things have changed and it's and it's okay to acknowledge that uh, they're not where you want them to be. And what do you do 
moving forward when when it becomes clear through conversation that yeah this is this is a relational issue this isn't a, a singular uh individual issue it's a relational issue what do you do at that point well it's interesting because i think my theory on on what i've learned and what i've seen as far as these kinds of relationships is that it's very much a individual issue as much or even more so than a couple's issue let me let me explain what i mean by that a little bit please i think a lot of times at the core of these relationships is that the individuals have a void in their own psyches that rather than being able to stand independently because we choose to have this person in our life we go into these relationships the, the people we see go into these relationships are going to be people commonly described as codependent where mm-hmm. rather than the relationship being just something that enhances my life it's something that I'm using as an emotional crutch and I hate that sounds judgmental but that piece of I need this person to function and somehow this relationship is fulfilling a need that I can't fulfill for myself. And a lot of those, you mentioned a void in the psyche. That's a reference a little bit to unconscious behavior. And so by definition, if it's unconscious behavior, we don't know that we're doing it until somebody points it out. And typically when somebody points it out, we get defensive and we all do this. It's no, there's no judgment here. We all do this in this particular context is with the relationship. So what is it, this thing that we're doing? What is this void that we're seeking? I think maybe appropriately, you mentioned a crutch. I think that sometimes we get into relationships with people where we look at them as um, saviors. Uh, maybe I, I, you, you use the phrase, I need this person in my life, as opposed to I want this person in my life. The, the former represents a dependency. The latter represents a choice, uh, a, an enhancement, if you will. Say, you know, I, I enjoy you so much, I want to be around you all the time. As opposed to, I don't, I don't feel good enough about myself that I need somebody to, to plug that hole for me. And you look like this person that would plug that hole. Now, if that were a conscious thought pattern, we would never engage in that type of behavior because it's nonsensical. So therefore, it's unconscious. We just find ourselves fumbling into these patterns and then they become toxic because we're not in them for the right reasons. We're in them for some reactive reason that, that you know, we don't believe that we're, we're good enough. So we will settle for the person who's abusive or, you know, something like that. You're yeah. nodding along. <laughs> yes, lots of nods there. But yeah, absolutely. And I think it, it is that unconscious because we're if we were conscious of it, like you're saying, we would probably work on fixing the internal stuff. And I think that's what happens a lot of times in these cases. The, the relationships function really similar to the way addiction functions. And I think almost a piece of the relationship becomes addiction in that we're looking for this external factor to fix an internal factor. So how do we bring awareness to somebody to say, you can fix this on your own and still maintain your partner relationship? You don't have to seek a divorce. You don't have to break up. You don't have to kick the person out of the home. You can continue building yourself while also building the relationship. Uh, well, I think you know, it's definitely a, the dialectical, the both and. We look at our internal work and also healthier responses and interactions with our partners. That can seem scary, though, because if, uh, if you're elevating a person to the point that they are self-sufficient and now choose healthy relationships, doesn't that inevitably or invariably mean that they're going to break up with this person because they no longer serve that need? I'd say it's very likely. And, that, and then that fear sometimes is what keeps people in these toxic relationships, the fear of the unknown, the fear of, geez, can I do this on my own? Can I stand on my own two feet? Um, and then, oh, by the way, can I sustain it? And what does healthy look like on the other side? And that's often such a weird and foreign concept that we run from it. Absolutely. 
And where do we run to? Back into the toxicity. Exactly. And I think it's exasperated in the toxic relationship because in any relationship, we're going to have that fear of what would it be like with someone else. And, you know, am I, we all kind of have those insecurities and the fear of change itself is going to be there. But in these relationships, generally communication patterns become abusive mm. and, and they be, they be, the toxicity itself tends to erode our own self-esteem, our own sense of individuality, all those things that make getting out of these relationships you know, all the things that make that we need to get out of the relationships, they, they becomes harder because, you know, our individual self, our, our self-worth erodes in these toxic situations. I want to wrap up because I want to keep this one short. Uh, we've, we've gone a little long in podcasts recently. And so I want to conclude with uh, two, two things. One's an observation, one's a question. The observation is for the listening audience to realize that uh, when we say toxic relationship, there is absolutely a continuum. There, there can be little tiny toxicity uh, where you're just kind of grating at each other because you're frustrated and tired all the time because you got two kids um, and they're both really young or something like that. Or maybe there's job loss or uh, you know just some some tumult that's temporary in the environment. The relationship can become toxic if if both people are not communicating openly, and that and that certainly can happen. All the way up to great toxicity, which would be uh, inclusive of things like uh, domestic violence and um, uh, abuse and and uh, you know imprisonment of sorts, you know isolation restriction. I mean, very very significant things. So there is absolutely a continuum. So we don't want to make people alarmed just by using the phrase toxic. I think it can be very off putting. So that's the observation. The question I have for Steve is, what what do you say to the listening audience? Let's say somebody's listening to this and they go, man, I think I think what these guys are talking about really resonates with me, and I think I might be in one of those relationships. What do I do about it? Ooh, that's a good question and a complicated <laughs> one. Yes, it is, and, and definitely hard to answer without you know the individual and the complete description. But I'll try to be as helpful as I can with it. And I think um, one of the first steps would be, what is it in my psyche? What is it that's missing for me? What am I looking for? A lot of times, people. We'll talk about exaggerated need for um, love, companionship, support, things that you probably didn't get in childhood the way you would have liked to or, or traumatic situations that you haven't quite healed from. So I would definitely invite you to search yourself first. Find what I'm looking for. What is it that's keeping me in this that I'm searching for that I feel like I can't fill for my own? And take a look at the painful experiences in your life. There's probably going to be some information to be gained through those. Um, another another piece I might invite you to look at is how do I talk to my partner? Do I feel comfortable? Do I feel safe to genuinely express how I'm feeling at an emotional level? Can I come and say, hey, I feel embarrassed, I feel scared, with my partner meeting me in a way that isn't criticizing or defensive? And um, look at the way you meet your partner. Are you able to meet them in a safe way? Or is anxiety, defensiveness, fear, criticism, is all that stuff popping up more than safe open conversations yeah i think one of the things that we're taught one of the most important things that we're taught in counselor school also is we are not responsible for somebody's change we are responsible for creating an environment conducive to change and i think similarly in relationships some of the things that i teach my couples is your job is not to provide happiness for your partner your job is to be as safe and welcoming and nurturing as possible that those are things you can control you can't control somebody else's uh, happiness, but I love those three things that you that you put out there, and um, and I, I, I love that you were as as generalized as you could be because uh, I know I loaded that question with, and we don't have a person in front of us specifically saying this is what's going on with me, but I love the insight. It takes a, it takes a high degree of awareness to be honest with oneself and say, 
what am I seeking? I mean, really, honestly, when we get down to the end of things, what am I seeking and why am I not getting it? And then the anal- the analysis of the painful experiences, I think, is really a really good exercise. Not to dwell there, for sure, because that'll that'll create depression. But just to analyze and go, what was painful in my life? I mean, I can self-disclose because I share this with enough people. Bullying was a big part in my life. I mean, I was bullied from like third grade through 12th. And it left me with this vacuum of self-efficacy that I then, you know, sought in various other ways, joining lots of activities and, you know, all sorts of things. So that was an unconscious function. And if I'd been honest with myself, I was like, you know, I was picked on a lot. This could be why I'm, you know, now seeking to be Mr. Popular through college. That would make a lot more sense. So I, I appreciate that. Thanks. Um, we wrap up and uh, you can reach us at no- info at nogginnotes.com and info at zephyrwellness.org. And we'll uh, be glad to take your feedback and read it on air and share it with the listening audience. And until next time with part two, I am Jake Wiskirchen for Steve Barsha. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.